If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So the tally is in and we know the latest on the budget for the city. You're still being hit with that whopping tax increase, 9.5%. Let's just call it 10%. That's what they tell you at school. You know, you round up at the 0.5. So 10.5, 9.5, whatever. It's still a record tax increase that we're dealing with here. And you know, I've been saying the past few weeks that it doesn't matter whether math is your strong suit or not. If your taxes are going up 10% and one of the top issues is public safety, and we have well established that we have fewer police officers now than we did well, 10 years ago, back when the city was smaller, you go, okay, so you're increasing, you're increasing my taxes by 10%, so you're increasing the police budget by 10%, right? Like that's how it would work? No, actually. The police had requested a 1.7% increase, and Olivia Chow said it's too much. She said that she had done pre-budget consultations. Everybody said, everybody said that you got to cut the police budget. That's what Mayor Chow and, and Councillor Shelley Carroll, who's the budget chief, said. But it looks like reality did not connect to that. And folks spoke up and, and you made your voices clear and said, no, we actually would like to see the police services adequately funded to deal with those response times. And it looks like there's, there's been a win for common sense. Lobbying on the part of the Toronto Police Association has worked, and, and maybe we can say credit to Mayor Chow for moderating on all of that, because she did revise what she was putting forward with staff, and now Toronto Police are getting that modest increase that they had asked for. Olivia Chow's base is very unhappy. Progress Toronto, which is, there's not a party system in Toronto, but if there were, that was, that was kind of like her party. It's a group called Progress Toronto. This is disappointing, Mayor Chow. The police have bullied, fear-mongered, and threatened to get what they want. They've inappropriately used city resources to campaign for an additional $12.5 million, and city council's capitulating. The police shouldn't have this power. Whoa. Them's uh, quite strong activist words there, but I don't think it was activists who wanted to see police get these resources. I think it was, it was you. It was the regular folks speaking out. For a reaction on the budget process, what this means for the police, we're joined again in studio now by Toronto Police Chief Myron Demke. Uh, Chief, thanks for joining us again in studio. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Thank you. And, and Chief, uh, what is your reaction to this budget? Because you had you had given a press conference saying that if you don't get the funding, response times will worsen. We do now have the, the full funding request that Toronto Police Services Board had asked for, correct? That is correct. And, and listen, my reaction is uh, to say thank you to uh, the mayor and city council for their leadership uh, that got us to where we got to uh, yesterday evening. So what does this mean in terms of the future of policing in Toronto and, and what this year will look like in terms of uh, your ability to reduce those response times and, and, and put more officers on the streets? Thanks for that. $20 million represented our capacity to hire frontline uh, officers as well as civilian professionals for very critical roles uh, that right now are not being filled. And uh, so next week, for example, we are graduating 146 recruits. The vast majority of those officers will be uh, giving us much more capacity in frontline service delivery. What it's also done is given us an opportunity to promote supervisors, to ensure that our frontline officers, who are increasingly younger and younger in experience, have the supervision, coaching, mentorship, and guidance they need uh, to be as successful as they can be in their service delivery. 
and uh, we're, we are very much anticipating uh, greater capacity to meet the growing uh, request for our services uh, as it relates to calls for service. Um, and our supervisors will give us greater capacity to get more effective and efficient in that service delivery. How are you going to be able to reduce those response times? Well, more police officers uh, able to respond translates to quicker response times. We see it in the metrics. Uh, we know that presently, 60% of the time when people call for a priority one event, which is the most urgent event that people are facing, 60% of the time there are no police officers available to attend. And our response what do you time, mean no police officers? That's, there's that's no quite units something. available. There's no frontline units available to actually take the call. They're, means, they're all at other calls. They're all at, at other calls, otherwise tied up. Uh, so adding additional resources to the front line will leave us with greater capacity so that 60% of the time we don't have that problem. We can reduce the number of uh, the percentage of time when there are no units available. And over time, we will see a reduction in the calls for service uh, being dealt with as it relates to priority one uh, calls. I think it's important to recognize, and I've said this before, our pipeline to hire is actually very long. And uh, next week, we graduate 146 officers. Those officers then commence on practical training. So the ability for them to impact uh, the workflow uh, is going to take time, that 146. Uh, But we have to look at this also in the context of it took many, many years to get here. We're not going to get out of this in one budget cycle in one year, which is why I was very, very excited uh, to hear the commitment for a multi-year strategy being developed so that we can hire in a sustainable, effective way, strategically understanding what the expectations of the city are. Uh, priority one response times is one metric. It's not the only metric. Uh, major crime indicators, clearance rates, um, uh, participating in prosecutions, our ability to deliver disclosure in a timely manner are all other metrics in our workflow uh, that are degraded and they need to be reconstituted. And this will take many years for us to rebuild capacity uh, that has been degraded for many years while the city continues to grow and create more demands for service. We're joined in studio now by Toronto Police Chief Myron Demke. A 1.7% request that the Police Services Board put to the mayor's office to counsel for the budget, a request that was granted. Uh, all departments are being asked to, to look at different ways to find efficiencies, responsibly manage their budget. I've heard from so many people who say we want police to get the resources they want. Uh, but at the same time, you do have a very large budget that you're managing. Uh, what is your, your commitment to the people and the taxpayers that you will responsibly manage that budget and find efficiencies while, while also providing frontline service? Oh, listen, we've, we've been committed to being as efficient and effective as we can be forever. There's one constant in the Toronto Police, and that is continuous improvement. And uh, we are an organization committed to being innovative and continuously improving, improving and have been for as long as I can remember. And uh, residents have that commitment for me. Additionally, I'll say this, that I provide updates to the board publicly on a regular basis. Um, You've heard me do that as it relates to hate crimes, for example. We'll certainly add this to our discussions in public discourse uh, when I report to the board. And additionally, of course, uh, you'll see me engaging with media and others uh, to continue this important discussion on how are we doing as it relates to response times over the long term and then other metrics that we need to consider as it relates to community safety and well-being that we deliver. Are there process changes we can do? Uh, The other day I was telling the anecdote that my son broke his arm the other year. We were at the ER and there were at least six officers who were standing around the whole time and I'm not faulting them. They were following the rules, but I thought, man, this is not an efficient use of resources uh, a lot of people sharing similar anecdotes about wondering if police, uh, if the rules mean their time is being as best used as it could be. 
there's always opportunities to rethink and re-envision and re-imagine uh, how we uh, deal with other system partners. And in the case of a hospital, of course, we spend time in hospitals for a whole host of reasons. Right. And uh, there are opportunities to, to discuss uh, other ways of dealing with that. And, you know, particularly we see a pressure on our resources as it relates to uh, apprehensions uh, regarding mental health events, crises, and the transfer of care from us to the hospital sector. Uh, there are opportunities to, you know, improve transfer of care, and we're looking at exploring Do all they need avenues. more security guards at the hospitals to just hand off? Well, I think it's a little more complicated than that because of the legal framework under which, you know, that happens. So I think that there's there are discussions to have how that is done, and uh, we're at the table with hospital uh, uh, hospital executives to try to evolve that. You, you, you did the transition for me to the uh, Mount Sinai conversation there. So uh, <laughs> speaking of hospitals... Uh, we've got uh, protests continuing on a hospital row. A lot of frustration, anger about what happened in front of Mount Sinai Hospital. Uh, protesters sort of all, all covered up in gear going up onto the scaffolding. Uh, reports of at least one physician she was leaving, but she was blocked. And police had to tell her, you got to stay blocked because there's only two of us. How are you going to manage these situations? A lot of frustration at that scene. And, and it's happening again today, not at Sinai, but yeah, on university. Just down the road. Yeah, listen, I think uh, it's important to acknowledge the community's perspective and concern. Um, and that uh, we are uh, committed to ensuring that, uh, first of all, uh, incidents like that don't repeat themselves. Uh, and importantly, that the critical infrastructure that is hospital role is treated that way by everybody, including, uh, you know, how we respond. But importantly, that the protesters and those who choose to demonstrate understand that we're not going to tolerate a disruption of our hospital sector. Uh, that's unacceptable. But you behavior. did the other day. You did tolerate it. Well, I, I think I, what I'd say is that uh, we're going to take steps to ensure there's no repeat of that, and we're continuing to investigate events that happened there that day. Um, but, you know, people need to understand our hospital sector is something that we're going to take steps to protect, and uh, hospital rolls off limits. We're not going to allow that to happen. What's going to be different next time? Uh, there'll be a deployment of resources that is going to help us deal with that. Okay. Uh, we've got this budget here that's been fulfilled. What would you anticipate? You talked about long-term strategy. We've got 30 seconds left, but planning for the next budget. Well, listen, planning for our next budget begins today. Um, we just talked about, you know, evolving uh, our ability to report on the metrics, and that's something that's going to continue throughout this year. We'll be communicating and engaging with uh, our, our residents uh, throughout the year to not only provide updates on how we're progressing, uh, but to hear their perspectives as, as we did this year. And I think that's an important role for us as an organization is to hear the community's perspective and make sure we do what we can to ensure their voices are heard in our uh, operational decision-making. Chief Demke, always great to see you. Thanks very much for joining us in studio for this conversation. Great to be here. Thank you.